Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. All right, here we are back at the bootcamp. Bob, I hope you're ready for the next episode. We, this is the seminary edition, Swivets from the Dome to Your Home. Jimbo, we are here in Fort Worth, and I've been in Fort Worth quite a lot recently in the last several years since my daughter lives here, but I got to take you this morning to a place that I really enjoyed discovering here in Fort Worth, Juan's Brito Express. Juan's Brito Express, and we got there in an express <laughs> we fashion. Uh, we get to the airport last night, and my rental car was not in the system, just a boring Hyundai Sonata. Yeah. And the lady goes, I'm going to go get you another car. And I'm like, what is she going to get us? Like a little smart car that the two of us are not going to fit in. <laughs> and what does she pull up in but a Dodge Charger Hellcat, Yeah, which is dangerous, Bob, because you may not know this, you know this, but I mean, look, I used to drive muscle cars a lot and ran from the police, got into a lot of danger. I was a scary kid to give keys to a car to. I never knew you ran from the police. I might have been rethinking my allowing you to drive last my, night. But you have to admit, my skills are there. I can I can handle a muscle car. You, you did. We, I think you punched it when we were actually heading to the Brito Express this morning. And we did a, almost fishtailed, except for the technology in the Hellcat. Oh, it's you. not the technology. That was all skill. That was all skill. I see. I see. <laughs> Man, we're excited to be here at Swibbits teaching a D-Men seminar. So before the seminar starts, they have graciously allowed us to jump into the nuclear fallout shelter podcast recording studio. There's an entire city under the dome that I knew nothing about. Yeah, we had to go through special FBI clearance just to be allowed to, <laughs> to come down here. But we're excited to be here and teach D-Men Seminar about church revitalization, replanting together. always love when I get to work with you, and this is a fun one for sure. But the reason we do this, because churches are dying. And it's, if you're listening to this podcast, you're well aware of that. And so one of the things we want to do is talk about one of the reasons that you may see that happen. Yeah, Jimbo, this is a, a tough subject. It's a difficult one because we see this happening to people we know. We also are part of pastor threads or groups on Facebook. And so the topic of forced termination is something that we do run across, I would say, not infrequently, not frequently, but somewhere in between. Yeah, I mean, it's not out of the norm to hear that a pastor got fired. Right. So I was doing some research for the article that I wrote for church, the Church Replanters blog, and here's some of the research that I, I ran across. Of all pastors, Jimbo, 23 to 41 percent will experience a forced termination at least once in their career. And that could be something like you get a note on your desk, your office door is locked, mm. or the pastor even comes to you and says, hey, son, I, th I think it's time for you to move on. Or if you're the lead pastor, that was a youth ministry reference, but the lead pastor may hear from a, a deacon. He might knock on the door in the middle of the night at the parsonage and just simply say, hey, we, we've had a conversation and we think it's time for you to go. Yeah, they do. Or the vote of no confidence. Yes. Which I don't know, man. I've never had to go through a vote of no confidence, but I feel like I would lose all my confidence <laughs> if I had to go to and vote. Like, all right, everybody, let's vote. Do you, do you have confidence that I can do this job? I mean, I get why that exists, I guess, but it feels pretty demoralizing. Well, you bring up a really good point, and I think this is—we might as well talk about it right now. 
Usually, when there's conflict in a declining church, the number of people who are dissatisfied about the pastor's role and his leadership is pretty small, typically. Now, it's magnified when you get into a church that's below, you know, 40 or 60. It's, it's you know, if you have seven to 10 people that are upset about something, then that can, that can really have a huge impact. But Jimbo, if it's a church of 100 or, or a little bit larger than that, there's typically a small group of folks who are upset about things. I've heard anecdotally, Mm-hmm. Tom Rayner and some others say something like this. Usually in the church, there are about seven to eight people who don't like what the pastor is doing. Yeah. Beyond that, there's a bunch of people that will tolerate it and follow him. And then there are some people who are really on board. Yeah. So most of the time when a pastor leaves a church, it's typically at the hands of the activities of a small group of people. Yep. Another thing that is important is to understand in terms of research, it's estimated that over the years of vocational service, four out of 10 pastors will be forced out of their church by firing or some sort of pressure that leads to their eventual resignation. So mm. these are uh, some statistics that were produced by, and we'll put the, we'll put the uh, research article that was released by Baptist Press some years ago, and Lifeway was also involved in this study. But Jimbo, the, the fact is that some of our colleagues, some of the guys that even listening, maybe have experienced that or on the precipice of that. And mm-hmm. so we want to talk about not just the reality that it occurs, but we also want to talk about some of the dynamics that you need to understand and some things to do if you find yourself in that situation. Bob, have you ever been fired? from a church? No, I think I've been sort of frozen out and yeah. then sort of politicaled out, if, okay. if I could say that. So, And it's when I was a student student ministry pastor. Jabal, I'll just say this. There is nothing more sacred in a dead and declining church than youth choir and handbells. <laughs> and I know you love handbells. Jimbo, I hate handbells. <laughs> and I was surprised. We, You know what? You know who likes handbells or who does himself with handbells? You'll be surprised to know this. Okay. Double Dock. Double Dock. Double Dock. Yeah. The, the dryers, like Double Dock and his wife and the kids, like, I think they may have had, they may have a traveling handbell ensemble. They'd be good at it. I mean, they, they look like a, a Hallmark family <laughs> they down do. in Key West, so it works. They do. So anyway, yeah, Jimbo, I came in there and here's what I noticed. And I was going, as I was going into that position, and this has some application for pastors as well. I asked the the youth committee chairperson for the ministry notes, the minutes from their business meeting. Yeah. And so here's one thing I saw. The youth pastor proposed this and the committee voted against it. And Jimbo, I saw that like over and over and over. Mm. And I went into that ministry setting and I had a grace period of maybe about a year, two years. Yeah. And then Jimbo, here's what happened. The youth choir was in decline. The handbells were in decline. And the power brokers in the church, again, very small group of people, rose up and basically began to work behind the scenes to kind of freeze me out. Mm. So that's happened to me in, in that case. And Jimbo, that was really hard for me. And, and yeah. it's similarly, it does happen for pastors as well. They run afoul maybe of the, the trustees or the treasurer or the deacon's wife, and something goes wrong, and then all of a sudden they begin to hear about secret meetings, about anonymous letters, and those sorts of things. And they find themselves either realizing that they're driving by the church, and their lights are on, and there's no meeting scheduled, and there's a meeting taking place about the pastor, or there's some sort of official invitation to come and hear the grievances that have been assembled to talk to you about. Yeah, I think it's the thing that I wanted us to hit is mainly we're this episode's going to be about the implications to the church when you have forced terminations. Yeah. But I don't <laughs> I don't want to use the word triggering, but man being fired is painful. I've never been fired from a church, 
but I have been fired from a pastry shop that I worked at. Mm-hmm. And well, it's sort of the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, there's a whole long story as to why and that we're not going to share on here. But I, it was so painful for me every time I drove by that place to think like, oh, that's where I got fired. That's where I, I got canned. And so if we have somebody listening that has experienced forced termination and they've been on the other end of that, whether rightfully or not, that's a painful thing to think through. It's hard not to feel like a failure. We talk about how our success and our identity is not in our vocation. And I think we would all nod our head and say amen, yes. But still, as men, usually, there's something in us that finds a lot of identity in our vocation. And when we get fired, we're like, oh, what does that mean about me? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it feels like the people that you have been called to love, serve, and sacrifice for no longer love you, no yeah. longer want your sacrifice, and no longer want your service. Yeah, because church is supposed to be a family, and now yeah. all of a sudden it feels like your family fired you. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's hard. It, it's difficult. Now, getting back to something you said, what is the impact on the church? Mm-hmm. There's a, a retired DOM from Chattanooga, Tennessee, a guy named David Myers, and he writes in this article that we'll put in the notes, and here's what he says about it's the forced termination and the impact on the church. He says this, What a forced termination does to the soul of the congregation is significant in and of itself, but the practical, logistical impact is also significant. The church may lose members who are unhappy with what has occurred and how it was done. The loss of financial support may result from membership decline or withholding money. The name and the reputation of the church is marred in the community and beyond. Hesitant, reserved, or negative recommendations of the church are given to prospective new ministers for that church, and many ministers are reluctant to consider relocation to a church that has terminated its previous ministers. Mm. I mean, he just lays it out right there. Yeah. So I, I think that's super key to understand, Jimbo. When we consult churches, and I, I will ask you this question, it's been my experience that when we look at a 20-year trend line, if we see some significant drops, typically what we, we, we do see in the history of that church are difficult transitions or terminations or resignations that took place that have a big backstory to yeah, them. Yeah. And anytime that has taken place, there are departures and there is decline. Yeah, absolutely. It's when there's a pattern, you know, there are certainly situations where a pastor should be fired. And usually that's going to involve immorality, mm-hmm. right? It's It certainly could encompass incompetence, but, and I think that would be the excuse that usually, or I shouldn't say excuse, the reason churches would give sometimes when they terminate a pastor is incompetence. But the, the challenging thing thing for a church to consider is if you've got a pattern of hiring incompetent pastors, <laughs> so, something's falling apart here, right? Yeah. Either either your onboarding hiring process is broken and you're not weeding out all the incompetent, incompetent guys out there, or you have different expectations than one you've communicated to that are biblically required. And because he's not hit your preferences or styles in a certain way, he doesn't preach exactly the style that you like, or he doesn't lead in the in the way that you want him to lead. They're not unbiblical ways. They're not even necessarily bad ways. They're just not the ways you want. When you start to define that, that as incompetence, that is actually a symptom that you have allowed infrastructure and preference take priority over the identity and the purpose that God has given us as the body of Christ. And that's that's something that the church has to fix, or they're just going to keep hiring guys who are probably competent and are probably godly, God-fearing, Bible-teaching men that come in, but because they don't fit into that box, they're just never going to last long enough to really see change happen. 
Right. Jimbo, permission to make an analogy. Come on, let's do it. So when I lived here in the Dallas-Fort Worth metro, I lived on the east side in North Garland. So if you've ever seen King of the Hill, the town Arlen, yeah. that was Garland, right? Okay, uh, all right. Richardson Garland area. A lot you of know, propane sales going on? A lot of on? propane sales, a lot of bug treatments, a lot of boomhowers. It was really... <laughs> One of my favorite, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm, that's what I'm saying. One of the things that that is true about homes in Texas is the soil is not good for a concrete foundation. And so with the the wet and the dry and the contraction and all those sorts of things, it creates foundational issues. And so when I was purchasing a home, you would always look at the cracks over the doors or were there cracks over the doors? Was there tape along the ceiling and wall lined? Was, did it look clean and all that? And so some people who were getting ready to sell their house or flipping their house would go in and sand everything down and paint over everything and make it look smooth. Mm. Somebody would buy that house. And then what they would realize over time is that the foundation had issues. This is a foundational problem in the yeah. church, right? If they don't respect, first of all, scripture, Mm-hmm. And as scripture talks about authority in the church, that Christ is the chief shepherd, that the pastors are the under shepherds, that part yeah. of what a congregation does is follow the loving lead of a good shepherd who leads them towards Jesus and on mission. Hebrews talks about that, you know, that word obey your spiritual authorities or your spiritual leaders, those who yeah. have leadership over you. It doesn't mean that they are dictatorial, but it means follow their lead as they follow Jesus, right? Yeah. And and follow them with trust that they are God's anointed person. Person. And so this always was a mystery to me that a pastor could see receive a 90 plus percent affirmation in his call to the congregation. But at some point, 90 percent of those folks were not following him any longer yeah. or they were frustrated by him. And so it's we want you to be our pastor and we're going to follow you as long as we agree with what you do yeah. and how you do it. Now, I, I don't want to overstate the, the simplicity of that in terms of saying, you know, you should always just follow without question. I'm not saying that whatsoever. But if your pastor is loving Jesus, he's a moral man, he's got integrity, he's leading you well, but he's also preaching the Word of God to you and challenging you, if you resist that, it's not an issue of preference, perhaps. It's a, an issue of obedience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, okay, so if a church has a pattern of this, it one, it will contribute to their decline, and not just because firing pastors makes you decline, but because that's a firing pastors over and over is actually a symptom of a foundational issue. So what can be done? What do we do if our church is in that pattern, caught in that pattern? You know a church caught in that pattern. You're part of a church caught in that pattern. What are some things you could do to bring that church to a healthier place? Yeah, let me, let me suggest four things. The first one is you really got to go back and address the wrongs that were committed to previous pastors and their families who were undeserving of forced terminations. There's nothing more scarring than a forced termination, not only to a pastor, but to his family and yeah. his children. Right. Well, and let's so, just stop for just a second and just acknowledge that. I mean, yeah. how painful that's got to be yeah. for the family. Yeah. Uh, it was hard for my kids to leave redemption, and we left on good terms. We left on really good terms. And it was, it's still, they, it's hard for them to go, man, I, it was, that was family. That was w- who we were. And that's a big change. Imagine, I can't imagine attaching to that, you were made to leave. Yeah. That's got to be hard for a kid to understand. Absolutely. Well, they don't understand it, and, and sometimes they can't. And sometimes you can't get into the details with kids, right? You don't want to give them information about people that they know and love that yeah. diminishes the relationship they have with them. But I think part of this addressing the wrongs is there are times when you need to address those wrongs publicly and repent personally 
and even invite those who, who've been wronged back to the church to receive that apology and to receive that repentance. Yeah. Uh, that is so important, and, and where I have seen churches do this, it's actually done a, a wonderful work in the life of that congregation because they've acknowledged the wrong. Now, here's what we also know. Sometimes the people who committed those wrongs are long gone. Mm-hmm. They're either passed away or they're no longer there. But if we have a group of people that are listening to our podcast that are thinking, man, our church has this in its history, they go back and deal with that by repenting for the actions of the church body corporately, not just a few individuals personally. And I think God can bless that. Here's the second thing. Remove those who were involved or instigated unfounded and unreasonable forced terminations from leadership positions within the church. Yeah. This is a hard one. Yeah. Right. But if you have some gatekeepers, you have some bullies, you have some controllers who are drumming up false accusations, who are involved in behind the scenes campaigns, you cannot allow them to persist in positions of leadership. Yeah. You can't excuse their behavior. I was reading one of the pastor threads that I follow in in some of the pastor groups, and there was a a comment about a conflict between deacons and a pastor, and the deacons had withheld the pastor's Christmas bonus, and it was just turned into this incredible thread, and so many people were commenting. And They they withheld it in pretty dramatic fashion, not just, just, hey, you're not going to get a Christmas bonus. They give him an empty envelope at the front of the church, and he doesn't open it until he gets home and realizes it's empty. Yeah. And so, I mean, can you imagine the heartache? I mean, amazing. So fast forward, here's what, here's some of what's happened. We've got some of those deacons have actually left the church yeah. as they were confronted. Good. And some have repented and— Even better. Uh, even better. So you just can't allow individuals who are involved in such things to persist in leadership. The other thing I would do is that does need to be addressed is you have to address informal campaigns to force a pastor out through biblically-based bylaw supported church yep. discipline. Yep. Right. I think Jimbo, every set of bylaws that I've seen from the church has two either one or two things. A member conduct clause or pledge or covenant yeah. and a church discipline, you know, bylaws in the church discipline. Here's how we're going to do it. Yeah. What I also realize is most churches that have those things have never done them. Yeah, I mean, confrontation is so hard and it feels counterintuitive to the idea of, oh, we're, we're a family, and this is, you know, church is this happy place where we're nice to each other. And so it, we we typically are very conflict avoidant, and that ends up enabling continued sinful patterns and behaviors to, to happen because we don't address them, because we say, well, you know, I, there's a church I've been working with that um, there was someone who did a kind of an underground campaign and got rid of the last pastor who was honestly doing, from everything I can find and assess through interviews and everything else, doing a pretty good job. But his doing a good job pulled power from somebody. Mm-hmm. And so they did this whole underground campaign and got rid of the guy, and nobody has dealt with that yet. And it's one of the things I've tried to help them see is we have to deal with this yeah. or else— we're going to bring in some other guy, and he's going to do a pretty decent job. It's going to start to pull power from these people, and they're going to do the same thing over and over again. Absolutely. They're emboldened. Yeah. Right? They they won. Yeah. You know, and Jimbo, this I, I, didn't, I didn't get into too many fisticuffs on the playground when I was young, and my total fight record was probably one in, thir- one in two, or one in three, actually. Yeah. So I won one fist fight, lost two. So yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not getting a fist fight, right? But my, <laughs> my sense is that if you were in five fist fights, you probably won five of them. Me? Yeah. I mean, I, there was, I lost two because I got jumped. 
by multiple people. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that doesn't count. I'm just talking one-on-one. Mano y mano, right? Mano a mano, I, I usually came out on top. See, that's exactly right, right? So I just get sensed that about you is why I don't start a fist fight with you. Right? So, <laughs> I hope that's not the only reason you haven't started a fist fight. Well, I don't want to get fired from my job either. So, and I also don't want to get beat up. <laughs> also hope you haven't wanted to punch me in the face. but <laughs> No, not often. <laughs> not often. <laughs> All that to say, it's this, is if you have a bully in the church and the bully bullies people and gets away with it, guess what they're going to do? They're going to bully people. Yeah, they're going to keep going. They're going to keep going. So you got to get that out of there. You got to clear that. I mean, think about what Paul says to Timothy, command certain men to not teach false doctrine. Yeah. Right. So Timothy, we know had a timidity problem, right? He was, he was a timid guy and, and Paul's like, tell him to stop. Right? Yeah. You're telling stuff. So not it's not only a doctrine issue, but it's a behavior issue. So it's a lack of demonstrating the fruit of the spirit issue. And if you've got it in your membership covenant in your bylaws, then you have biblical grounds and you've got legal grounds yeah. to to tell them to stop. Here's here's the last thing I would say. This is gonna be important specifically for the church as it seeks to remedy this kind of history for its future. They need to make careful note of the actions taken above, if they take those, like mm-hmm. public repentance, removal of leadership you know, um, from, from the bullies, you know, all those sorts of things. They need to take careful note of that, of any redemptive actions that would be taken. They need to note that in the business meeting notes, and they need to be able to have a demonstrated record that the church will not allow this to happen in the future. Yeah. So therefore, like if you are a, a pastor, a replanter, revitalizer, and you are interviewing with the church and you find a trail of pastors that have been terminated, mm-hmm. and if you see that they've never dealt with it, here's what I would say. Run like the wind. Yeah, don't. I would not accept a call to a church that has a pattern of that unless I met with the AMS or state convention or somebody that said, we recognized it. We addressed it. We've taken them through XYZ process yeah. to resolve these issues. Those people are taken out of leadership. They're now placed and poised and ready to head in the right direction. At that point, I would I would be willing to consider it. But I would encourage you, listener, if you're considering going to a church, that's one of the things you need to figure out yeah. is do they have a trail of firing the last several pastors? And if they do, if it's if it's more than one, if they fired one guy in the history of their church and it's an old church, then that's probably legitimate. But if like the last five guys were asked to leave, you're just going to be number six. Yeah. If it happened to them and it's going to happen to you. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what, where some of us who have that redemptive drive in us to, mm-hmm. to redeem broken things, we think, man, me and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we got this. Yeah. Like I can do it. Right. I've read some books. I've read Mark Clifton's book. I've listened to the podcast, you know. Yeah. I've been to the Replant Summit. I'm good to go. I got the hat. Right. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm good. Well, friends, kind of I love that enthusiasm and I love that you feel equipped and encouraged and empowered. But the the deal is you're like a fresh coat of paint mm-hmm. and a new patch of sheetrock. Until you deal with that foundation it's issue, gonna again. it's going to crack again. And it doesn't matter how how devoted, how mm. clear, how capable you are. Yeah, and just to clarify, it also doesn't matter, like, if you sit down and you interview and you ask them and they say they've dealt with it, I'm not going to trust that. No. That's why I need an associational leader or a state convention leader to tell me. Yeah. Not only they've addressed it, but I want to know specific, like, how have you— and if, if they're addressing it has not at some level involved outside perspective— then it's probably not been dealt with. Absolutely. And if it's not created in them brokenness and repentance, mm-hmm. 
then you have a, a you have activity that has taken place that may have been you know suggested or required by uh, an outside leader or consultant. The other thing too, and I would just you know in in with this in that case of if you're if you're investigating and making careful study to see if they've repented and actually taken actions and it's in the business meeting notes, man, call those former pastors and talk to them. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And just go, have they have you they do that regardless? Yeah. I think no matter what situation yeah. you're walking into, you should do that. Have they taken steps to be repentant and redemptive with you? And how did that go? Right. Yeah. And understand that. Now here's the challenge. There are a lot of churches that have this in their history, and for whatever reason, They've not dealt with it. Maybe some of the DOMs, if we have DOMs listen to us, AMS leaders, maybe they've been hesitant to deal with it as mm-hmm. well. And what I would say is somebody's got to stop the merry-go-round, right? Somebody's got to stop yep. the dysfunctional cycle, and why not you? Yep. Absolutely. Man, this has been great. Thank you to this being unofficially sponsored by Swibbits and our unofficial audio engineer, Adam Covington, there in the booth watching over us and giving us a thumbs up. Hey, we're, we are on Amazon now. You can go to your Echo and say, uh, hey, Echo or Alexa, play Replant Bootcamp podcast. I hope that me saying that and you were listening to it in your house just caused your echo to do it. And it'll play the latest Replant Bootcamp podcast for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.